0: Got to spend some special time with our family down in Southern California. Got um, probably three months' worth of sunshine. (laughs) um, But we're happy and healthy by the grace of God. Also want to welcome back our Parkwood Pathfinders. Um, Seeing some of the pictures from their travels to and from Oshkosh, it looked like the Lord has blessed you guys with a a memorable trip. And so hopefully in the near future we'll hear some stories about that. But... um, Friends, this morning, I believe God wants to speak to us, and when He speaks, He speaks directly to us through His Word. Amen? And, um, by the way, that children's story was scripted. That was my line, right? Did I say it right? Okay. (laughs) But today, we we have the privilege of gobbling up the bread of life. And so, you know what I want to do? I want to start with a word of prayer, but I want to give us a chance to really pray for one another. You know, Jesus quotes an Old Testament scripture from Isaiah. He says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. You remember this one. It's not necessarily a house of preaching, although preaching does take place in the house of God. It's not necessarily a house of singing, though singing and praising happens in the house of God. Amen? But when Jesus is identifying the very essence of what it is to be in God's presence. He says, it's a house of prayer. And I don't want to take that just, um, you know, a- as a label and just say, yeah, we, we're in a house of prayer uh, because our hearts are always in an attitude of prayer. And I hope that they are, but I really want us to, to experience what it is to be in God's house of prayer. And so here's what I want to do. I just want to start with... Um, a time to to pray for the person to our right or to our left. Can we do that? Um, If you would rather just pray silently, uh, just in in the quiet of your own hearts, that's fine, but if there's someone next to you that you can just put a hand on and say, hey, how can I pray for you today? I want to give you a couple of minutes to do that, okay? Maybe you want to share with each other a promise that might be something that you claim in, in prayer for one another. So just take a few moments and let's pray for one another in God's house of prayer. Ready, set, go. If you know this chorus, you can sing it with me. I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come to thee. Father in heaven, We thank you for inviting us into the house of prayer. And Lord, we know that without you, we can do nothing. We have nothing. We are nothing. But we thank you that through Jesus, we have everything. Lord, you've invited us to come boldly before your throne of grace, that we would obtain mercy in our time of need. Lord, there are some of us who are experiencing some deep need right now. And I pray that you would minister through the power of your Holy Spirit to each one. Thank you for the opportunity to pray with or for each other. I pray that burdens would be lifted at Calvary today. I pray that the word of promise would be something that we can stand upon firmly today. And that as we open up the word of God together, please, Lord, open up our hearts. We pray for the promised Holy Spirit who would guide us into all truth. and We ask that you would sanctify us, set us apart Make us holy and completely yours through this word of truth. We're praying this in Jesus' saving name. Let everyone say, Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles and let's start our Bible study together. We're going to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 3. And if you've already been following uh, the the bulletin, you know that our sermon title is actually part 7 of a series from long ago. Do you remember this? We started a series way back and we never actually got to finish it. So I hope it's okay that we take this week and the next to actually finish this series out. We've been working through the book of Revelation, chapter 1 specifically, into chapter 2 and chapter 3. We've been going through the messages to the seven churches of Revelation. This is Let Him Hear, part 7. We're going to Revelation chapter 3. This is the message to the church of Philadelphia the city of brotherly love. Did you know that's what Philadelphia means? The city of brotherly love. And just so that uh, we kind of have our bearings, you remember that in chapter one, when we started this whole series out, we saw that chapter one is really an upfront, a front row vision of who Jesus is. And it specifically, it's not Jesus in, um, in, a, in a white coat and a stethoscope. It's not Jesus in a fireman's suit. It's not Jesus uh, with, a, with a nightstick and a, and a police badge. No, this is Jesus in high priestly garments. Because the vision that the churches needed was a vision of Jesus as their high priest. It was a vision of Jesus as one who stands in the gap. It was a vision of Jesus as one who gives his righteousness to us. Amen. And this Jesus we see in Revelation chapter 1, if you just kind of glance your eyes back, To Revelation chapter 1, it says in verse 12 and 13, it says, Then I turned to see the voice that spoke to me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man. So when John sees Jesus in his high priestly outfit, he sees Jesus not standing far from the lampstand, but where exactly? In the midst, in the middle. And we're told in verse 20, I believe it is, that these seven lampstands are the seven what? They're the seven churches. So what we see is a picture of Jesus, our high priest, not far distant from each and every one of us, but in the very midst of your trouble and mine. (laughs) He's standing in the boat. He hasn't left. Though the storms are raging, though the waves are, are waving, Jesus is in the midst. And so here's Jesus standing over these flames and his sole purpose is to make sure that these flames do not flicker out. And in order to ensure the, the perseverance of each of these flames, in order to ensure the endurance of each of these churches, he has a tailor-made, specialized message for each and every one of those. Did you know that God still speaks today? Amen. That when he speaks to you, he actually wants to speak to you. That might sound redundant, but please catch the the nuance of that. When God speaks to you, he actually wants to speak to you. Do you realize you have a God who speaks to you? You know, on vacation, we we stayed in a couple hotels, and and, uh, there's always that awkward moment where you get in the elevator, and there's someone else there with you that you don't know. Awkward moment, right? You know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Everybody stares the same direction. Yeah, level one, thanks. Right? (laughs) But when we stand next to somebody that we don't know, and then that somebody actually engages us in conversation, it kind of, you know, it kind of rocks your world a bit, right? Because it's telling you that there's someone that actually wants to know you or be known by you. See, here's the thing about speaking. When someone speaks, that person wants to either know or be known. You have a God... Who speaks to you? Please let that sink in. That God does not stand in the elevator and look the same direction. <laughs> that God is not the God of the awkward silence, but that God speaks to you. So we're going to Revelation chapter 3. <laughs> and each of these tailor made messages. From the church to the uh, the message to the church of Ephesus that had left its first love, to the persecuted church, to the church that had a name that was alive, but it really wasn't. All of these situations, all of these circumstances, and now we're getting to the church, to the, the church in Philadelphia. We're in Revelation chapter three and verse seven. If you're there, say amen. amen. Alright, Revelation chapter three, verse seven. The Bible says, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right. These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Let's slow down just right here. Hold on a second. We're speaking, or excuse me, Jesus is speaking to a church, and the city that this church is located in is what? Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. It's actually named after a Pergamanian king named, uh, who is nicknamed Philadelphus, because of his great love for his own brother, okay? And actually, Philadelphia was the youngest of the seven cities that are addressed in Revelation 2 and 3. 25 years old, this city was just newly founded. It was founded by this king uh, who is known for his brotherly love, but even though it was a young city, it was a very prosperous city. In fact, this city had a specific design, a specific purpose. This city was founded on an imperial postal road, right kind of in the traffic, the crossroads of of where all the traffic of of that known area would would travel through. And the specific purpose that Philadelphus uh, founded this city was so that this city would be a center of influence. In fact, some uh, archaeologists, some historians say that this city was actually a missionary city, a missionary city to spread the Greek culture to the surrounding areas. Very interesting. So it was put in the crossroads in order to be a center of influence, specifically a missionary for Greek language, for Greek culture, for Greek ideas to the surrounding area. And here in this missionary-type city, there resides a young church. That Jesus has a special message for. Before he gets into the specific of those messages, he he announces himself. He says these things in verse 7. These things says, he who is holy. When you think of the holy one, who do you think of? Specifically, we're, we're talking about divinity, okay? We'll say this. In fact, if you go back to the Old Testament, by the way, the book of Revelation founded on Old Testament imagery, Old Testament allusions, but when you go back to the Old Testament, there's this phrase, it's a technical phrase, the Holy One. Or maybe in the book of Isaiah, you've read it before, the phrase is the Holy One of Israel. We're speaking of God himself. Jesus is saying, hey look, I'm talking to you, and I'm not just talking to you as some guy, as some prophet. No, I am the Holy One. I am God himself he who is holy, he who is true, not just that he's false, but that he's genuine. The the Greek word there actually speaks directly of his, his authenticity, his realness, not just the absence of error, but the absence of unfaithfulness. So here's Jesus who is God himself, and here's Jesus who is faithful to his promises. It says, he who is holy, he who is true. And then there's this lengthy quotation from the Old Testament. In my Bible, I'm reading from the New King James, and in my Bible, it it has the next few phrases in italics. Do you see that? Maybe your Bible uh, has a similar notation, but this is actually directly quoting from Isaiah chapter 22, and it says, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. And so this picture that we have of Jesus is, he is God, and he is faithful, and in his hand he has this key, and it's called the key of David. Now, when someone holds the keys, that someone is a special someone, right? (laughs) Um, Maybe you can just kind of take an inventory right now. Who holds the keys to your car? (laughs) Who holds the keys to your house, right? Maybe you've had teenage kids or uh, you've had that special moment where you've actually given over the keys to the car. Has anybody gone through that before? Or maybe you've held back the keys to the car. <laughs> All right? Key holders are doorkeepers. Key holders have access and authority. And Jesus says, I have the key. He's the one who can open and close. And specifically here, it's the key of David. Hold a, hold a finger here, put a bookmark, put a pencil, whatever. Just hold your place here in Revelation chapter 3 and go back with me to Isaiah chapter 22. Very interesting. This is the Old Testament background of this. In Isaiah chapter 22, there is a prophecy that's given regarding some individuals in Hezekiah's kingdom. This is way back. At Isaiah chapter 22, it's in verses uh, 20 through 22. Isaiah chapter 22, verses 20 to 22. When you're there, say, Amen. Okay. And here, God is actually making a prediction about something that's taking place in Hezekiah's kingdom. Actually, if you look back to verse 15 and 16, there's an official named Shebna who hasn't been the most faithful. He's actually been a corrupt guy in the king's court. And so God is saying, hey, Shebna is going to be deposed and in his place, verse 20, then it shall be in that day that I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, I will clothe him with your robe and strengthen him with your belt. I will commit your responsibility into his hand. He shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. The key of the house of David I will lay on his shoulder. So he shall open and no one shall shut. And he shall shut and no one shall open. Here's the Old Testament background. There is an individual named Eliakim who was faithful And because of his faithfulness, he was given authority over the royal palace. Because of his faithfulness, he was given authority over the royal storehouse. So who was the guy in that kingdom that you wanted to know? It was Eliakim, right? (laughs) The guy with the keys, you want to know him because he's got access to it all. And Jesus says, I am the one who has full authority. In Revelation chapter 3, he is pictured now not as just having access and authority to to an earthly kingdom, but he has the key of David. And David, this was the messianic hope. This was the the kingdom that was supposed to last forever. And so Jesus is now identified as the one who has access to the kingdom whose dominion shall have no end. Are we following today, yes or no? Yeah? Here's Jesus, the Holy One. Here is Jesus, the one who is faithful to his promises. Here is Jesus who has full authority to the kingdom of heaven. And with this key, it's his privilege to open and it's also his privilege to shut. But we shall see that the emphasis here is that God's privilege and prerogative is to open wide the door to us. Let's go back now to Revelation chapter 3. In Revelation chapter 3, we have this picture of Jesus who is holy, of Jesus who is faithful and true, of Jesus who has the key to the kingdom. Now, if Jesus has the key of David, if you're back in Revelation chapter 7, what kind of door would Jesus want to open? Read it with me here. Revelation chapter 3, verse 8. If you're there, say amen. Amen. All right. Revelation chapter 3, verse 8. The Bible says, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. So what has Jesus given this church, this, this fledgling church in Philadelphia, what has Jesus set before them? A, an open what? An open door. An open door. Very interesting. Throughout the New Testament specifically, this idea of an open door, it's used over and over by Paul, As an open door for preaching the gospel. You look at Paul's writings and he says, The door is open for me to preach here or to preach there. In other words, door is a metaphor of opportunity. Are we following that today? This door is a metaphor of opportunity. I mean, we use this language in our own conversation. Yeah, you know, I I was looking for this job. I interviewed here and there, but the door just seemed closed. We've used that before, right? The opportunity wasn't there. Or, you know, we're, we're considering relocating and, and it seemed like all the doors just opened up. It means that the opportunities availed themselves. And here Jesus is saying, I've set before you an open door. I've set before you an opportunity. And specifically, this is an opportunity to preach the gospel. This is very interesting to me because this isn't the first time we've seen this juxtaposition of Jesus with full authority... Opening a door of opportunity. Go with me to Matthew. Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28 verse 18. There's a picture of Jesus with full authority. He's got keys, so to speak. Matthew chapter 28 verse 18. If you're writing this down in notes, Matthew chapter 28 verses 18 through 20 is where we're going. Matthew chapter 28 And I want us to see this picture of Jesus with full authority. And he's opening something up before us. When you're there, say, I found it. it. All right. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. The Bible says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, that is his disciples. Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Here is Jesus. And what has been given to him? All authority. Not just some, not just most, but all, right? All authority has been given to me in heaven on earth. And in verse 19, what are the next two words in your Bible? Go therefore. therefore. Now, whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, you've got to ask, what's it there for? Okay, (laughs) okay. If there's a therefore, you've got to ask, what's it there for? In other words, Jesus is saying, go, therefore. What's another way to phrase that? So, or because, based on my authority, because, because of what just preceded it, you go. So in verse 18, Jesus says, all authority is mine. Therefore, because I have all authority, you go. Do we follow it today, yes or no? In other words, in Matthew chapter 28, we see Jesus with full authority, and he's opening wide the door, saying, you, you go get him. <laughs> I've got everything under heaven and earth. It's mine. Therefore, you go and make disciples of all nations. So in Revelation chapter 3, when we turn our our Bibles back to Revelation chapter 3, what we see is a picture of Jesus with full authority. And when he says he's opening up a door, he's opening up a missionary opportunity. Because I have full authority, therefore you go and make disciples. This is what the church in Philadelphia needed to hear. This church that resided in a city that was known for its quote-unquote missionary influence, that was trying to spread Greek language and Greek culture, Greek ideas and philosophies to the surrounding areas, there is a church there that needs to know, hey, look, it's not just about spreading man-made ideas. You go because you're a missionary for the kingdom. Jesus says, I've got full authority, and I've opened a door of opportunity that no one can shut. Amen? Jesus says, I am the one who shuts this. I am the one who opens this. No one can do it but me. And then, in the rest of verse 8, he actually gives three reasons. It's a threefold rationale of why he gives us, why he gives believers this open door of missionary opportunity. Notice with me. Write them down if you're taking notes. In verse 8, so he says, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door. We've talked about this. This is the missionary opportunity. No one can shut it. And then, Following there are three reasons three reasons says for, You have what? little strength You have kept my word and have not denied my name There's three reasons that Jesus opens up this door of missionary opportunity And the first reason just catches my eye because it seems so ironic Jesus says I'm giving you a missionary opportunity because you are little. <laughs> I'm giving you a missionary opportunity because you have no power. <laughs> now, in my mind, when I realize that I have no power, I, I conclude, naturally thinking, I have no opportunity. In my mind, when I have little strength, by the way, the Greek word there is micron, or micro, When I have micro-strength, I feel like I have micro-impact. But Jesus is saying, look, I've given you this opportunity because you have little strength. Not in spite of, or we'll get over that. No, he says because you have little strength, because you are weak, because you are micro, (laughs) I'm giving you macro-effectiveness. Because you have micro power, I'm giving you my macro influence. Maybe it's because the the, as Paul says it in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we have, these, we have this treasure of the gospel in earthen vessels. Uh, other versions say, we have the treasure of the glory of the gospel in jars of clay. It seems so unfitting that something so glorious would be in something so plain. But it's for the purpose of not, uh, not allowing any of the glory to glow to the vessel itself, but to the God of the gospel. In 2 Corinthians twelve nine it says, uh, My strength is made perfect in your weakness. <laughs> it could it be that God chooses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chooses the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God is in the business of, of saying, Hey, you have little strength, perfect. <laughs> I'll give you a wide open door of opportunity. I love it. Actually, when I was taking notes in my, my just sermon preparation time, I, I put L O L. I was laughing out loud at this phrase. I was like, what? <laughs> it gives us an opportunity because we have little strength. And so that's the first reason. The second reason and third reason. He says, for you have little strength. This is still in verse 8. For you have little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Reasons number 2 and 3, in order, have kept my word. In other words, they were faithful to the word of God have not denied my name. In other words, they didn't compromise for the sake of going with the crowd. They were faithful to the word and they sought to please God above all things. So could it be that our missionary effectiveness is not dependent upon how dynamic we are, how much power we we pack in our punch. It's not dependent upon how great in number we are. It's not dependent upon how much experience we have. It's actually dependent upon how faithful we are to the word. You know, sometimes we think to ourselves that I don't have very much to offer God. You know, or maybe our opportunities aren't all that great. We don't feel like uh, there, there's much going for us. You know, I don't have this spiritual gift or I don't have that experience. And because of those, uh, those excuses that kind of hang themselves in the shelves in our mind, we kind of keep our hands to ourselves. We, we, we sit on our hands, so to speak, and we let someone else, uh, I love that offering appeal, thanks Harold. Uh, we let someone else do it, right? Because we feel like we have micro-strength, or micro-knowledge, or micro-effectiveness. But God is saying, look, I've set before you an open door. I've given you an opportunity that you need to walk through. And he's giving this open door not just to select individuals in the Church of Philadelphia. He's giving it to the church. Amen. Amen. (laughs) He's not just giving it to, to certain officers of the Church of Philadelphia. He's giving it to the church. I've said before all of you an open door. All authority is mine, therefore go. It's not whether or not all authority and power is ours. It's whether or not we believe all authority and power is his. So if you believe that, God has set before you an open door. It's an open door of macro effectiveness based upon your micro efforts. Maybe you have little to offer, and that's okay. But the truth is that as we avail ourselves of those opportunities, as we make ourselves available to God, He takes those things and multiplies them. You know, um, over our time in Southern California, just uh, cruising the beach and stuff, walking across here and there, We went to a beach and there was this, uh, there was this surf camp taking place. I thought, man, that would be fun someday, Uh, 20 years ago when I was a little bit younger. (laughs) Um, There was a surf camp that was taking, and I just, you know, I I actually enjoy watching surfers, because there's there's an art to the timing of catching the wave, you know? And the beach that we were at, the waves weren't super huge, they weren't significant, um, you know, they weren't like maverick size or whatever. They were just enough to learn on, which is why there was a surf camp there. And so I was just thinking about this, and as people wait for the waves, and I've been out there before, and I've, you know, I'm not the kind who's, who's waiting for the 10 foot waves. I'm looking for the small swells. Just take me to shore, take me to shore, right? <laughs> but um, I was just thinking about this, and the truth is that sometimes in our waiting for opportunities to serve God, some of us have this tendency to kind of wait for the big waves. I want to get involved in something that that I know I'll be successful in. Or I want to get involved in something that's really going to make an impact and and thousands of souls and all this kind of stuff. Sometimes we, we kind of wait, we sit on our hands for something that's really going to make a big difference. When all the while, there are small waves passing us by that we could have easily just ridden. In other words, I think of it like this. God is telling Philadelphia, Philadelphia, you've got little strength. And that's okay because the opportunities are always there. You don't have to wait for the big show. The little opportunities to serve God are right under your nose. Take them. Take them. And I know personally I have this tendency. There's this you know, people we walk past every day. Cashier here, uh, a person down the street there, a neighbor hi there. You know, and there are opportunities right around us to impact someone's day, to impact someone's eternity. And we pass by those opportunities as though it's not going to have any impact. I'm not going to see a baptism after that conversation. And maybe we won't after that one conversation. But how is it going to happen if we don't even take one conversation? Do we follow that train of thought today? Yeah, and so I'm preaching to myself right now. (laughs) And something I'm really appreciative of is, is people around me who will just kind of spur me on, yeah, go ahead and talk to that person. Like yesterday, we went to Olive Garden. Debbie uh, gives me this glow and kind of does this with her eyes, you know, points to someone with i you know. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> yeah. I'm waiting for my big opportunity at the pulpit. No, no, no. We take the little opportunities when they're open. We catch those waves, no matter how big or small, because that's going to move the kingdom forward. And so Jesus says, I've set before all of you an open door because you have little strength. You've kept my word and have not denied my name. And in verse 9, it's very interesting. It says, Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. Whoa. There's something going on here in Philadelphia that we don't catch. And maybe it's this, that as they were trying to be missionaries as they were using their little strength, they actually ran into opposition. They actually ran into people who said that they were of God's people, but really, they were trying to hinder God's work. And in verse 9, Jesus is giving them the assurance, look, maybe you've tried to share your faith, maybe you've tried to let your light shine, but you've been discouraged by this and that opposition or opponents. You know what God says? I've got your back. (laughs) In the end, it's all going to come out in the wash. They're going to see who you're really working for. (laughs) They're going to see who's really in charge. And so Jesus says, look, even when you try to share, don't be discouraged by the opposition. I will turn that all around someday. In verse 10, he goes on. He continues to give these assurances, these affirmations. I don't know if you've noticed this, but in the other messages to the other churches, Jesus gives a word of rebuke, kind of a word of criticism, it says, hey, hey uh, you know, you're doing this, but there's this one thing that you've just got against you. <laughs> but in, in the church of Philadelphia, there's none of that. None of that. We saw that one other time it was the church in Smyrna who is being persecuted, and that's not the time that someone needs to hear criticism, right? But here, the church of Philadelphia, they're, they're giving what they've got, even if it's micro. They're giving what they've got, and Jesus is saying, look, you're going. You, are, you just keep going. Could it be, uh, there's a verse in Scripture that says, love covers a multitude of sins. Could it be that when we exercise brotherly love, that covers a multitude of sins too? <laughs> that when we're putting forth our love for others in constant and consistent missionary effort, whether it's big, whether it's small, that covers a multitude of faults. You know, those faults will kind of take care of themselves. And Jesus is saying, look, you just keep going. So in verse 10, he continues with these assurances. And he says in verse 10, Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. In other words, because of their perseverance, I'm going to preserve you. (laughs) Preservation is promised to those who persevere. In verse 11, He gives more promises. Behold, I am coming quickly. I tell you what, that's the heart throb of every genuine missionary. That Jesus is coming soon. Could it be that this is the very thing that causes us to to take every step forward in whatever missionary endeavor? And by the way, I've been throwing around this term missionary. And a lot of times when when, when people say missionary, we think of someone far, far away. We think of someone in another continent or someone overseas. And sure, that is a technical expression of missionary. But generally speaking, a missionary is someone who has a mission. Are we following that today? And so when I'm saying, hey, we're all missionaries, we may not be all overseas. But we all have a mission to go make disciples. And Jesus has given us this open door of opportunity. He says, hey, I am coming quickly. That is the very thing that motivates each and every missionary opportunity. Every effort of ours. Look, Jesus is coming soon. I've got to reach out. Jesus is coming quickly. I've got to say something. Jesus is coming quickly. They can't take another day without a smile. Jesus is coming quickly. Behold, I am coming quickly, verse 11. Hold fast what you have. Here's the one instruction. The one instruction in this whole message. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. In this context, what is it that Philadelphia has? Well, they have little strength, we know that. (laughs) But in this context, what God has given them is he's given them the open door. Hold fast that opportunity. Not because Jesus is going to take the opportunity away, but it's by our neglect of the opportunity that it will be taken up by others. It's kind of a a sharp sword to to swallow. You think about the the Jewish nation, for example. They had an open door of opportunity to declare the glory of God. But when they neglected that opportunity, or or maybe we should say when they renounced that opportunity, it was taken up by others. You understand what I'm saying? Hold fast this opportunity. Hold fast to this open door. In other words, walk through it already. Because by our neglect of it, others will take that door themselves. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. And in verse 12 through 13, verse 12 starts giving these promises. He who overcomes. By the way, when you're a missionary, (laughs) when you actually step out of your comfort zone, when you actually open your mouth, when you actually extend your hand in service or in kindness, you are overcoming. You are overcoming your selfishness. You are overcoming your your self-centered reservations. You are overcoming the natural heart that says, me, myself, and I. When you are a missionary reaching out, you are a victor. You are overcoming. So it says, to those who overcome, he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. The very house of God is built upon the foundation of selfless service. And I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. In other words, he'll always be in my house. And I love that, because being in God's house is essentially a metaphor for being in God's presence. Right? You remember, I think it's Psalm 23, And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. That's the assurance of being with God 24-7. And so Jesus says, hey, when you're a missionary, you may be far off on this continent. You may be in the the, the darkest valleys. You may be in the coldest uh, hovels of society. But when you're serving others, you're actually walking with me. You're walking in my footsteps. You shall never go out of my presence. And I love that because being in God's presence, no matter what your surrounding is, being in God's presence is the best place to be. It's the best place to be. <laughs> Actually, in Psalm 16:11, you can write that one down too. Psalm 16:11 says, "In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore." So when we are missionaries, when we are walking through those doors, we are guaranteed of being in God's presence and we are guaranteed of having God's joy. I love that. Serving others is the most joyful life you can possibly choose for yourself. He goes on He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. Wow three times over, Jesus says, I'm putting on you an inscription that is me. (laughs) I'm putting my name, my city's name, my son's name. I'm putting my name on you. And when you think about the things that you put your name on, those are the things that are yours. Those are the things that belong to you. You go to a ballpark, and you've got your basketball. You want to make sure you get your sharpie out, because you don't want anybody to take your ball, right? (laughs) Right? When Jesus puts his name on us, we belong to him. And it's as we overcome, as we overcome our self-insulation, as we overcome our neglect of missionary opportunity, as we overcome and walk through these doors that he's opening up for us, Jesus says, you are mine. You are mine. In verse 13, he says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So do you hear this morning? Do you hear this morning that Jesus is holy, that Jesus is true, that Jesus has full authority? He's got this key, and he wants to open something up to the kingdom. Jesus, as the key holder and doorkeeper, is not about closing the door to see how many he can keep out. He's about opening it as wide as possible to see how many he can call in. And who is he using to call in? You. Me. Amen. Amen. So what do you believe about Jesus today? Do you believe he has this key? Do you believe he has full authority under heaven and earth? Therefore go. Therefore go. What opportunities are you going to take this week? What are you going to do about it this week? What neighbor are you going to make eye contact with? Right? <laughs> what coworker are you actually going to take time to sit down and talk with? How many glow tracks are you actually going to pick up from the hallway out here and make sure your car is stocked with so that when you go grocery shopping, you can stash them in door handles along the way? What opportunities, little, small, micro, macro, what opportunities are you going to ride today, this week? Let's bow our heads together and commit these things to God. Father in heaven, we want to live lives that demonstrate that you have full authority under heaven and earth. We want to live in such a way that it will be absolutely convincing that we love our neighbor as we love ourselves. We want to live lives in such a way that the open doors of opportunity that you avail to us will not be in vain. Father, we thank you that in this uh, grand scheme, of the plan of salvation. You have not left us on the sidelines to just watch and cheer, but you have given us the opportunity to co-labor with you. Angels could have easily done this much better, but you have called us to have the joy of the Lord. <laughs> and so, Father, I pray for each one here in this place, and I ask God that you would, you would place a heavy call upon each heart to know how they can make use of their micro-strength for micro-efforts to have macro-effectiveness. Father, please, may, may we be able to sit around the banquet table in heaven someday and share stories of how this happened or that happened because we simply walked through the door. Thank you for trusting us. And Father, we just place our trust in you. We ask that the Holy Spirit would empower each and every step that we take. In Jesus' name, Let the family say, Amen. Amen.